everyone. My name is Ashley Barnescock and I'm the ACI project director here at Away Home Washington. And I'm thrilled to see so many folks on the call to celebrate Walla Walla and learn from them and with them about what it takes to truly end, not just manage youth and young adult homelessness. I'm super excited to see folks from both anchor community cohorts. Uh, we roll deep and we show up for each other and we show up for young people across the state. I'm also extremely grateful to be joined today by local and state elected officials, all of the, the special public servants here today uh, that work with us across the state. Your partnership is critical in taking these learnings and removing barriers at the state level so we can scale successful data-driven in, in innovations and practices. I also wanna thank our funding partners, many of whom are on our board of directors, um, and for all of you for helping make this day a reality. We're so happy to have you all here together with us in this work. I also want to say right off the bat that Black Lives Matter. We're starting all of our work in the Anchor Community Initiative and Away Home Washington from a place of recognizing that racism, homophobia, and anti-Blackness exist and are intersecting identities directly in the system. I also want to acknowledge that Away Home Washington is located on the unceded Coast Salish and Duwamish land, and I'm calling today from the Walla Walla, Cayuse, and Umatilla territory. We work with communities also located on colonized land that are, were taken and are continuing to be taken by force. And I want to recognize the first peoples, past, present, and future, whose land this rightfully is. They are still here and have stewarded this land that we now work, plan, and live on since time immemorial. It's only by reflecting on this history that we can act on the present and disrupt the systems that continue to result in disproportionate experiences of homelessness for Indigenous young people in our state. Before we get started, um, really into everything today, I uh, want to hear from you all. And so if you could please introduce yourself in the chat and share what Native land you are calling in from today. Today is all about Walla Walla. Many of you have heard at this point that they're the second community after another anchor community, Spokane, has made measurable progress, uh, a measurable reduction in youth and young adult homelessness in Washington state. And we're here today to talk to the amazing leaders on the ground about how they have gotten there and what they have learned along the way. Me and my colleague, Alicia Pritchett, our resident former Walla Walla core team member and current data coach at Away Home Washington, are gonna share a little bit about the Anchor Community Initiative and our role in supporting communities. And then you're gonna hear from a panel of folks on the ground from the Walla Walla core team about their journey. At the end, we should have some time for audience questions. And so please keep track as we go. Many folks here have heard us talk about a yes, yes, Washington. At Away Home Washington here, we want to state that anytime a young person puts their hand up and says, yes, I want to come inside, we have the relationships, services, policies, and structures to be able to say, yes, come inside. Because the fact of the matter is that a lot of times, we don't even have what young people who actively are seeking support need from us. We have to tell young people in crisis every day, no, you have to wait. No, you aren't eligible. No, we don't have what you need here or no, we can't keep you safe and respected here. And that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to us, it's unacceptable to our anchor communities, and it's unacceptable for young people. We at Away Home Washington envision a state where every young person can access the services they need quickly without having to leave their home community and see them stably housed as a result. And there are two important things that I wanna highlight. We need systems that can say yes to young people when they come seeking support from us, and we need to build systems that young people actually want to say yes to. Both of those things are necessary in my mind for us to claim success. And at Away Home Washington, we are a statewide movement to prevent and end youth and adult homelessness. And everything we do is working towards that yes to yes vision. We value ending, not just responding. 
We value justice to end homelessness. We know we need to end disproportionality for youth of color, LGBTQ, and uh, gender nonconforming young people as well. Um, and data. We need to know our impacts. We need to be able to pivot. We need to be able to learn. And when we say youth and young adults, what we mean is young people who are unaccompanied, so disconnected from their families, ages 12 to 24, and are unsheltered, staying somewhere not meant for human habitation, fleeing domestic violence or trafficking, are sheltered or are unsafely or unstably couch surfing and doubled up. And I want to highlight for you that uh, this last one is something that is, is unique to the Anchor Community Initiative um, in some ways. And when a community measurably reduces or functionally ends youth and young adult homelessness in the ACI, that also means that those unstably housed young people are included in that assessment, um, which is an important note, I think, to have in terms of our definitions. Our flagship program, the Anchor Community Initiative, works intensively with diverse communities across the state to test, try, and learn what it truly takes in an individual community to house all of the young people coming into their system in 30 days or less, ensure every young person has immediate access to shelter, and there are equitable outcomes for LGBTQ youth and youth of color. So to us, when we say that we have ended, we don't mean that no young person will ever experience a crisis. What we mean is that our communities are actively designing and redesigning their systems to ensure that every single young person has an immediate pathway forward that they need and want, and that no young person who needs support is turned away. We want systems that say yes to young people. When a community joins the ACI, we are welcoming them in to play around with us and each other and push the limits of what is possible in this area and prove that with the right sauce, we really can end youth and young adult homelessness in our communities. What the ACI brings to communities is a model. So each community has what we call a core improvement team, which has access to a lead coach that strategizes with and supports local teams in planning and organizing themselves. Uh, as well as expert data solution support and targeted technical assistance to support them in organizing young people with lived experience to lead this work. Communities are all supported to build community-wide GABs, um, youth action boards, as a, as a component of that. We start with supporting anchor communities to build the relationships and infrastructure to know in real time all of the young people experiencing homelessness while creating a baseline level of youth engagement in the work. Then we start coaching communities to use their data set uh, to set specific short-term goals to drive reductions in homelessness, including around reducing and ending disproportionality. And that's where we are at in the process with all of our four cohort one communities, Walla Walla, Spokane, Yakima, and Pierce County. After that, we make the final push for reaching functional zero and sustaining that gain. We start with the data because not every change we make is an improvement to the system and we can't see what's working if we can't trust our data. And so that is why I'm gonna pass it over to our resident data cat, Alicia, to explain a little bit more why the data is so fun and cool. Thanks, Ashley. Hey everyone, my name is Alicia Pritchett. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a data capacity building coordinator with Away Home Washington. So I coach communities on how to set up their by name list, how to reach quality data, um, and increase their data literacy in order for them to use their by name list to reduce and end youth and young adult homelessness. Uh, and like Ashley mentioned, I was previously a housing navigator in Walla Walla, and I also worked on the community's data work group. So let's talk data. First, what is a by name list? Um, a youth and young adult by name list is a list of every unaccompanied, meaning without a parent or guardian, young person aged 12 to 24 actively experiencing homelessness in the community. Um, and it covers the entire geographical region of a county and accounts for every young person by name or a unique identifier. And it is built off of homeless management information system data and it's updated in real time. 
So anchor communities do the necessary work across their system to reach quality real-time data. And because of this, they can trust their binding list is up to date and accurate. And a binding list is used to first and foremost house young people. Uh, communities are using their binding lists for case conferencing, which means it's a process that takes a whole community approach to problem solve and connect young people to housing resources. And every young person's situation is different. Uh, so this targeted approach results in creative and specific housing solutions that will work for every person on a binding list. Um, and a binding list is also a valuable tool that provides insights into what is happening across the system. So it can highlight where housing gaps exist and equity issues. And it also serves as a benchmark for assessing whether a community's data remains at quality. And anchor communities track these data points on a system level each month. So they track inflow, uh, every young person flowing onto their by name list, and it's grouped by whether this is their first time in the system, if they're returning from permanent housing, or if they're returning from inactive. And communities by name list consists of every young person actively experiencing homelessness and what type of homelessness. So is it unsheltered, sheltered, doubled up, couch surfing, or unknown? And then every young person outflowing the system is tracked as well. So whether that young person has been permanently housed, if they become inactive, or if they no longer meet the population age criteria. And we also look at the length of time they're experiencing homelessness from identification to a positive exit. And then this is further disaggregated by age, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and gender identity. Uh, and this level of disaggregation across these data points allows for communities to easily target improvement measures. Uh, so for example, communities might see in their data that LGBTQ plus young people of color are experiencing a disproportionate rate of unsheltered homelessness compared to their cis hetero white peers. Or their data might show that young people are returning from permanent housing at a higher rate over the course of like the last three months. So the utility of a binding list is, is to be able to use their data in a way that drives tests of change. And this means that they can use their learnings in real time to inform their work and pivot when needed. And communities consider all of these data points when designing improvements to their system. And as a system, it's important to keep the big picture always in mind. Are we actually reducing the overall number of young people experiencing homelessness each month? And every program in a system can hit their grant outcomes without actually reducing homelessness. Uh, and so after achieving quality real-time data like Walla Walla has, one of the biggest indicators we look for is to see the changes are working is the overall actively homeless number. Is this number going up or is it going down? And there are natural fluctuations in the data from month to month. Uh, but once we start seeing multiple points below our baseline, we can begin to say with some confidence that this is no longer random chance. It's no longer just an outlier data point. Something is fundamentally changing here that is consistently resulting in a different outcome. And when a community reaches six points in a row below their median, we call that a downward shift. Uh, and an important note, if there's a point on the median, we skip that point and keep counting the points below it until we reach six. And as you can see here, Walla Walla reached such a shift in February of this year. Uh, and this is a run chart showing the total number of young people actively experiencing homelessness from April 2021 to February 2022. And one of the coolest parts about having quality real-time data is the ability to see trends over time. Uh, and what this chart is telling us is that the system improvements that Walla Walla has been implementing over the past year are having a measurable impact. Uh, and their actively homeless number is trending downward consistently. Uh, and conversely, if a community saw a trend upwards in their data, they would know that something is impacting their system. And then they can begin to work to make the necessary changes and improvements. And it is clear in the data that Walla Walla is successfully redesigning their system in a measurable way. 
uh, prevention of young people experiencing homelessness, housing young people quickly, and keeping young people housed permanently all impact the number of young people actively experiencing homelessness. And Walla Walla also reached a shift in their unsheltered youth and young adult population. Uh, and this is a run chart showing the young people who are actively experiencing unsheltered homelessness in Walla Walla from April 2021 to April 2022. And what this chart illustrates is the work that Walla Walla has been doing has had an impact that consistently reduced their actively unsheltered number each month. Uh, and their efforts are reflected in the data. I'm sure you can also imagine that a community getting down to three young people experiencing unsheltered homelessness changes the conversation. It becomes, what can we do to house these three young people this month? Uh, and this level of data is powerful. They can see where their areas for improvement are in their homeless response continuum. They can see if the changes they're making are having an impact in real time. And if not, they can pivot quickly and continue the process for quality improvement. And Walla Walla now has the capacity to use their data to tell a story of what is happening in their system and how they are driving reductions in homelessness for youth and young adults to ultimately reach functional zero. And so I'm gonna pass it back to Ashley to highlight just a little bit of that story. Yeah, so there's a number of different things that we, uh, you know, as we've been capturing some of the knowledge of, of what has all happened over the past year um, and, and some change. Uh, and there's five key things that we can point to that were, were very important for Walla Walla to be able to make this make this uh, these changes. So they filled critical service and outreach gaps in their system. Uh, they took ownership of their data literacy skills and highlighting emerging problems rallying around clear, measurable, specific goals, iterating their yes to yes plan, which I'm sure one of them will explain to all of you what the yes to yes plan is, um, iterated that format to strategically organize themselves as a team and successfully kept taking on challenges, proving that they could meet goals to themselves. Um, and I, I highlight these things as we go into this panel because I'm, I'm really excited for you all to hear the specifics from, from the people on the ground um, around some of these, these major uh, major shifts in, in towards their success. And so at this point, I'm going to shift us from hearing uh, into hearing from our Walla Walla Dream team on the ground about how they've been able to create these massive shifts in their community. And while we hear from them, I just want us to let them inspire us to stop uh, having the conversation um, about why we can't do something and ask ourselves, how can we say yes? How can we say yes to ideas? Yes to change? Yes to young people. And so we are going to do a little bit of a transition, and I'm going to start off by asking um, each of the Walla Walla panelists to just introduce yourself, uh, your name, your pronouns, your role, and your agency, um, and how long you've been on the Walla Walla core team. Hi, everyone. I am Esther Taylor. Um, she, her pronouns, and I am a youth leader for the Walla Walla um, Community Initiative team, core team. I'm excited to be here. Um, I've been a part of the core team for two years now, and it's been such a blast. I've learned so much impactful information about quality data, the importance of why um, we advocate to change or help in youth and young adult homelessness and change the stigmas um, that are uh, based around youth and young adult homelessness. And um, being a part of this team has been um, so amazing for me. And um, we're a family, and so it's been nice to be able to connect with every every person that I've met, every person that I've, I've been able to um, be in the presence of. Um, so I'm just glad to be here and be a part of this team. 
Thanks, Esther. Um, I was actually just talking about you uh, the other day because you attend like almost every single meeting so consistently, and I'm so grateful for your presence. And I can't believe it's been two years. Um, I am Sam Jackal. I use she, her pronouns. I am the Anchor Community Initiative Coordinator here in Walla Walla. Um, and I, yesterday was my three-year anniversary, I guess. Um, a marvelous three years, um, I must say. All right, Mike, I'm going to have you go next. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Mike Wilson, he, him, I'm the Homeless Youth and Young Adult Service Navigator. I've been in this role for uh, just over two and a half years and on the core team for that long as well. And I'm just so grateful to be here and so happy to be a part of this wonderful team. And maybe I'll just popcorn it over Amanda, to Amanda Colopy. Hello, Amanda Colopy. I'm with Children's Home Society of Washington. I'm the child family therapist and located at our Walla Walla Juvenile Detention Center. Um, and she, her pronouns, I've been on the uh, core team since the beginning. Um, so kind of one of those the old, old fellas here. Uh, but uh, just we've had a really good time um, getting together and working as a team and to, um, you know, produce the data and results that we have. Uh, yeah, Carrie. Good morning, everybody. I'm Carrie Givens. I also work at BMAC, Blue Mountain Action Council. And the program I work for is called Commitment to Community. And I have been on the core team about a year. Hi, folks. Alicia Pritchett, she, her pronouns. Uh, and I was formerly on the core team uh, for most of the time that cohort one was involved in ACI work. And so love being a part of that team. And I'm really happy to be here today. I'm, I'm Tim. I'm Tim Milia, and I uh, use he/him pronouns. And I work for Catholic Charities here in Walla Walla, and I also serve as the community lead. And I've had the pleasure of being involved since the beginning, along with Amanda. Um, and um, just wanted to introduce my myself now, but um, um, uh, I I may not say too much uh, <laughs> at this point. But you know, they have a hard time keeping me quiet, so. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, and I'm going to just jump into our first big question. So Walla Walla is a balanced state community, which encompasses many of the most rural communities in a state together into one entity. And that means that the, the, for you all that the Department of Commerce manages your data infrastructure. You all have had quite the winding path to get to quality, reliable, uh, by nameless data. Can you talk a little bit about your journey uh, to get there? Yeah, um, I'm happy to take that one. Um, so Walla Walla County is part of the balance of state um, because of being a smaller county with uh, limited capacity. Um, we, I am also, I forgot to mention, I'm also the homeless housing coordinator here at the at the county. Um, so for other balance of state folks, I'm the CHG lead um, and help to manage coordinated entry and all of that. Um, and and with that, being part of the balance of state has a lot of benefits. Um, we've worked closely with the folks at Commerce. I think one of the challenges we've had to navigate is figuring out who are the right folks at Commerce to talk with and work with. Um, one of the one of the things that we needed to do was figure out like who the decision makers were, who had the resources locally. Um, and it turned out I was one of those people that had the resources locally. Um, we were relying on commerce to send us our, our data. Um, and then when we realized um, that I had the, the ability to pull our data from the back end directly um, and edit those reports and create um, custom reports, uh, that helped out a lot. Um, 
We also worked with Commerce on developing a universal release of information so that we can case conference our by name list. Um, and that was huge uh, because that also will help other balance of state communities that want to utilize that for case conferencing um, so they don't have to have to reinvent the wheel. Um, we rely on Commerce for um, creating a lot of like reports and other such things in terms of our data. Um, and we realized if we were going to get quality data and get moving, that we needed to strengthen our local like data literacy skills and capacity. Um, and so we formulated the uh, Walla Walla uh, data work group. Um, and over the course of these last few years have really strengthened some of our knowledge and expertise um, here locally so we don't have to rely as much on commerce for that. Awesome, and you brought up data literacy and I'm curious um, maybe to hear from you a little bit, Mike, uh, about why data literacy is so important and what it has meant over, over this period of time. Um, since you, if you look back at you starting two and a half years ago um, and where you are now, why, why is data literacy one of the, the core focuses for this team? Well, I definitely want to say I'm glad we focused on it early because now as we're getting, you know, closer to, you know, hopefully achieving functional zero, I feel that, um, you know, it's just so important to be able to look back and know that what we're like, what we're looking at is solid. If we say we have 40 homeless youth, but our, we have absolutely no measure to prove that that's at all accurate. I mean, it just, it's, then it's going to hard to be able to, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, when that happens saying, hey, we did this, it's going to be very hard without quality data. The other important things are just for us to kind of know what's going on in our community, a quick snapshot. It's super important for us to be able to go over and look at any sort of disproportionality. You know, we all work with our hearts, but we also want to make sure that that is, is, connecting to the right people and making sure that everyone is, is accessing these resources. So, you know, we've definitely gone through and had a lot of discussions about that, but I think it's important for a lot of things. I, I took some convincing from Alicia and Sam and some other folks like you, but I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm very excited and I love to see when our data is uh, reliable and accurate. And I just wanted to add to that of what Sam and Mike have said that um, we value the data when it comes to looking at the improvements of youth and young adults who have been housed, um, youth and young adults who feel like their voices are being heard when they talk about their experiences being homeless, because homelessness is such um, an overlooked um, or overlooked situation. Um, we live in a society that generalizes homelessness, and people do not just end up on the street because oh they did A B C D. There's a lot of complexity to homelessness that a lot of people don't um, take the time to understand. And that's why we as a core team, we take the time to understand it because there's, we know, we want to know the behind the scenes of why someone's on the streets, why um, people are um, impacted by um, homelessness and how we can help, um, you know, prevent um, homelessness for youth and young adults and the crisis of homelessness moving forward. So it's important. This work is important that we do. Thank both of you so much. I, um, I'm curious if somebody wants to talk just a little bit more about your data work group. How is it structured? What do y'all talk about? Yeah, I'm happy to, I'll start out. And then if anyone wants to jump in. Um, so our data work group, initially, it, um, I was working with the data all on my own. Um, and so trying to figure out challenges. And I, uh, I then uh, identified a co-conspirator because um, data really is a team sport and it feels good when you are trying to troubleshoot things and you're not understanding things to have somebody else there um, to work through stuff. Um, but then quickly realized that 
it was not helpful um, ha not having folks in the room that were inputting into the system. Um, I don't do direct service work. And so adding in the youth and young adult navigators to our data work group team um, was really influential. Um, and it is also, uh, we've added some additional folks to our data work group team. And it's kind of like um, spreading out like that knowledge and those skills um, and really like the discomfort that many of us experience with the data has allowed for us to like get more comfortable with just being uncomfortable and trying things. Um, I feel like in, in a way it influenced uh, we like the analysis paralysis that can happen a lot where you're constantly thinking and, and like wanting things to be perfect before you try them. Um, that doesn't work with data. <laughs> Um, you just gotta, you just gotta keep going, and you gotta try stuff, and eventually things start to um, start to make a little bit more sense. There's like always some level of like discomfort, though, but it becomes like it becomes like a nice a nice friend. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that, Sam. Um, I think that like one of the coolest things about the way that the Anchor Community Initiative um, is set up and the way that it works is that we're really using the data to drive the work that we're doing in communities, um, and to be able to use that data, we have to understand what that data is telling us. And I think like for a lot of folks, myself included, like there was a point where I'm like, I don't know what these numbers mean. I don't know how to apply these to the work that I'm actually doing on the ground. Um, and so I think that really working on the data literacy in the data work group by trying to reach quality data. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but basically at the end of the day, you want to be able to understand what the numbers are telling you. So that way you can know if something's off or you can even trust it um, to like create improvement projects around it. So yeah, in the data work group, we spend a lot of time reaching quality data um, and then also reassessing where we're at because things can throw that off. And so we always wanna do like a checks and balances in that way. Um, but then also like diving deeper into the data, like what other tools can we use to like, you, say, you saw like the data is like disaggregated by many things, but like having the ability to like go deeper and like pinpoint specific areas, like looking at unsheltered or looking at the disproportionality is really key in the work that we're doing to say that we've reached functional zero. Awesome, thank you all. Uh, I, right, when when I hear you all talk about it, I remember just Walla Walla achieving quality data and then achieving it again and then again and then again. And one of the things that just resonates so much with me is, is that this process is always continually solving for finding finding where the issue is, what's what's pinpointing, not just with our system, um, but how we can how we can tell ourselves like, is this working? Is it not? Um, and uh, that constantly solving for success is is such a key piece of this puzzle. Um, and in ACI, we don't just learn from successes, we learn from everything that we do, hard times included. And so we transitioned to the reducing phase. So if you all remember like my, uh, my little three phase um, flow chart that looks very linear and straightforward and perfect, uh, right? We transitioned into the second phase, the reducing phase, right as the COVID-19 pandemic started. And so can you all talk about the first year of reducing and some things that you learned along the way? Um, yeah, I'm happy to start out with that one too. Uh, yeah, the first year of reducing. Um, so that, that initial, uh, phase of the by nameless scorecard and answering yes, no to questions, very black and white, very clear, uh, making sure we had the capacity and infrastructure. Um, and then we got that, we completed the by nameless scorecard, got that quality data, and then found ourselves in the reducing phase. Um, it was a struggle. Um, we were like, 
generating ideas constantly. Um, and it, it was overwhelming. It was challenging. Absolutely. Um, I will say, though, Wall Wall Core Team, when we had to uh, pivot to virtual, the virtual setting, um, attendance was has always been solid. Um, it was, I've always been very grateful for that. Um, we definitely had to have um, a number of com a, a number of conversations around um, acknowledging like that things were hard and wild, um, but that this work can't wait. And so we needed to figure out how um, how to act and how to get things done and how to continue this work. Um, and this team absolutely was able to do that. Um, we do have uh, we. Away Home Washington provided some support with the yes to yes plans, which was a tool that we were able to use um, instead of constantly generating ideas. Um, we we set a goal based on our data, how much we were going to reduce um, youth and young adult homeless by, homelessness by in a six month period, decided the things that needed to be true in order to do that in that six month period, um, and then just evaluated our progress and talked about what needed to be done, who was going to do what and by when to make all of those things true in that six month period. And the STS plan helped us Pro, like track our progress, track the actions and and so on and so forth. Um, and it felt it definitely like made a big difference um, in us being able to 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 create action instead of just generating ideas forever. Because um, that's it can feel a little bit more comfortable generating ideas because you don't have to find out whether or not your idea is going to work. Um, but that's not the point is like your ideas aren't always going to work, but you have to try things. Um, you always have to try things and then look to see if it's impacted your data or not. Um, hear from young people to find out, are these the things that young people are telling us need to change? Because that's also important, not just our data, but what young people are saying needs to change is also what needs to change. Um, so that that made the reducing phase a lot more comfortable. I wanted to add to what Sam was saying. Um, the reason why we all do this work is, work is because we're passionate about this work. Um, a lot of times when it comes to dealing with the data um, and just like the ins and outs of the challenges that come with helping to end youth and young adult homelessness, we hit some roads at times where, you know, the data is discouraging or we don't like what we see, but we keep going because we're passionate about this work. Uh, we've seen the results before and we were um, encouraged to see it again. Um, and it helps to be able to work with people that um, have like minds when it comes to this work, because um, the only way, you know, we can help in youth and young adult homelessness is to have a passion for it, because there are challenges that are ingrained within um, the, you know, disproportionality of the homelessness system for people who are, who identify in the LGBTQ plus community, for people of color, BIPOC. There's just a, a multitude of challenges that come what helping to end youth and young adult homelessness. And we're passionate about facing those challenges head on. Awesome, thank you both so much. Um, I'm curious, Amanda or Tim, if either of you, when you think back, you, you know, you've been at this for, for going on four years now, um, uh, back when, when you first officially became, got word that you were, were gonna be an anchor community. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts for, for when you think back to some of the, the harder times, the struggles, the challenges, um, what, what rises to the surface for you? Some of the things you learned. I think for myself, it was just the fact that in the very beginning, I felt like it was just a lot of talk because we're learning how to do what we can do. And then once we finally got you know, on the ground working with it, um, 
we started seeing some changes and stuff, but me, I, I'm kind of one of those people like, let's go fix things right now. And it, it took a while. You have to develop the, the program and the right passionate people to be on your core team and all of that to actually see some change be made over time. So I had some discouraging times there where I'm like, oh my gosh, are we, are we going to, you know, are we going to do um, anything? Are we going to be successful in our SGS plans, all that? But I think, you know, with the passion, like Esther said, um, that everybody has had, we've been able to see some significant changes over the years. Yeah, I, th- I think when we first started off, too, is that it was also new that there was a lot of fear, um, you know, a fear of that we were going to fail, that we weren't going to be successful. Um, and we were confused by a lot of the things like, what does this even mean? And so I think really having to to move beyond that. And it's not failure. It's learning. We're learning. And 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 Ashley, as, as our coach at that time, really helped to be able to to, to bring that forward and say, it's not failure, it's learning. We're learning. We have to try because otherwise we're not going to know if we stay in that fear state, um, we won't be able to progress forward. And and um, I think we'll, we'll probably touch on this again, but I, I want to say now is it's about the relationship. I think you can start to sense it from the people that are on this panel is that comfort level with each other. It's hard to do that you know, on a, on a virtual platform. But if you ever have the opportunity to be in a room with us, you will see the relationship that we have built together and the trust that's there. And that has to, to come from this team in order for us to, to move forward. And so as we were establishing those relationships, we didn't quite have them yet. Um, you know, that's always kind of a, a, a little a, a wonky stage, if you will. And um, so uh, that, that's been something that's, that's helped us to move forward. And that trust keeps us going um, when, when times get really difficult or we disagree. Um, there's going to be we disagree on things um, and it's OK for us to disagree because we know that we can still trust each other. Trust is has to be at the, the center. Yeah, totally. And one of the things that I always think about is right before the uh, the April 2021 learning session, which is the the high point. If you look at you know if you look at Walla Walla's run chart, high point. 81 young people that month experiencing uh, homelessness or housing instability. Um, and before that, I remember being with the Walla Walla core team and being like, "There's our our housing market." It's so hard. We have such a low vacancy rate. We're never going to be able to increase our housing placements. And I just remember feeling so much for all of you and like really across the ACI at that time that this, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. Like, I don't know what to tell them because those things are, are real and they're honest and they're true. Um, and then things changed. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you all uh, a little bit more about some of the, the big moments that change things for your team. And so Sam, you talked a little bit already about the SCS plan um, and being able to reorganize around, uh, right? Like what, you know, if we're, if we're going to reduce homelessness by 20% in our community, what does that community look like? What are the things that need to be true that we need to be able to say yes to in order to, to make that goal actually happen? Um, but I'm curious, what, what are some other breakthrough moments for you all uh, in that journey? I could take this on a little bit here. Uh, I feel like I'm in the four years we've had so many. So uh, to try to put a timeline in the little time we have for this, it's it's hard. But I think that some of our most significant um, things have been one reaching quality da- quality data so that we can um, kind of look at it and analyze it and see where we can go from there. 
Um, another thing is when we got our, our what we call our gators, our uh, youth and adult uh, homeless navigators. So that was Mike and Alicia at the time. They were the people that actually got to get on the ground and start, you know, having action, connecting with youth and young adults, finding out, you know, what are their needs. Um, then I would also say um, being our core team was uh, starting to kind of have that mindset of being able to divide and conquer um we had lots of different things that we had on our yes plan which then we broke out into different subcommittees like our data analysis team our landlord engagement um we also had the um aftercare work groups uh, things like that developing our yeah to hear the youth um and young adults voices to find out what what is really needed in our community i mean we all can come to the table and say this is what we need but we as individuals may not be the ones that have ever experienced it and really know what the community needs so being able to get that um, voice out there too um, and then another thing i want to pinpoint was when we were able to access some of the funds that away home washington um, was uh you know providing with our diversion funds our gators did the 30 to 30 challenge thing and it was amazing i think we went over um being able to um, have these uh, diversion funds um, to help support our family or our youth and young adults uh, to be um, placed in in housing placements and stuff. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more really high points, but those were some that just come to my mind right away that I was uh, very proud of and happy to be able to say I was a part of this team when those, those <laughs> points were happening. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. I'm curious, can somebody describe what the Homeless Prevention Diversion Fund is and uh, what this 30 and 30 challenge was and what it meant for you all? I, I would love to. Um, well, it originally started out as the Centralized Diversion Fund, and it's just a flexible, um, flexible funding that you can use to house young people. Now it's the Homeless Prevention and Diversion Fund. Um, same, same you know, process and, and same thing. It's, it's the core of it is diversion. It's really trying to prevent um, a youth from be ever becoming homeless. So it's accessing resources, getting creative and, and really trying to find a way that's going to get this young person to not be on the street or not have to go to um, shelter. And so I think that that was a core shift for us was our ability to think like that and not think so um, you know, obviously there is that path of getting in a, getting a job, getting an apartment and going on your way. But I think that there's another way about housing youth and it's, you know, leveraging their resources and, and really pulling on them. And, and when it gets uncomfortable, you sit there with them in that uncomfort. And that is when the solution is created. And, and so it's just this great tool that we can use. I mean, you know, we can purchase Greyhound tickets, we can purchase plane tickets, we can pay a deposit, I can pay a friend to have them stay there. I'm going to submit a request to have someone dog sit because they don't know where to put their dogs, but they could get housing. And so it, I can have them get their dogs, you know, pay a couple hundred bucks to have his dogs taken care of. So he doesn't have to be on the streets tomorrow. And so it's just it's such an impactful program, um, and I and I strongly encourage all of you to get trained and, and promote it to your other people that might be willing to access it. Um, it's just flexible use funding with a low barrier and for youth 12 to 24. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm curious. Oh, Esther, yeah, go for it. Uh, thank you. I wanted to add on to what Mike was saying. Um, I think what tends to happen societal-wise when it comes to this idea of youth and young adult homelessness is... Um, I think it's easy to forget how old people are when they um, become homeless on the street. 
like we got young people on like young people on the street that are like you know 14 15 16 probably and the impact of that where you're having to learn how to an adult how to be an adult at a young age um, while you're on the street and that is challenging because at 14 15 16 or even you know 17 18 you're supposed to feel like okay, I can be a kid, I can be my age, I can make mistakes, I can learn. But when you've experienced homelessness, there's a, a carefulness that you develop in your mind and your mentality that can make you overthink, that can make you feel like you have to have walls up, understandably, and protect yourself. Because at times it feels like you don't know who you can trust. And that's why we as ACI, again, we do this work because we want people to feel like they can trust us um, and entrust us to help them um, uh feel like they have stable housing and also that they're they're taken care of and feel taken care of always absolutely i'm curious are there other uh key moments big breakthroughs that really stand out in your mind when you think back on on the story of this journey over the past few years um that that were really important to you all i have, I have one um and this is early on when we we're working on our scorecard and i think it really shifted things for us and and we're going to give credit to becky betts um on this one but we were sitting sitting in a room and we were going through our scorecard and these questions that we have to answer and really kind of getting stuck in in over analyzing and and becky says let's just check the damn box and it like resonated with everybody in that room and it became our mantra of let's check the damn box so what do we have to do to check the damn box and um and that was i think that really shifted things because it helped us to get through that scorecard but it also has been something that's carried on you know it's not always checking a box but it's let's do this let's get it done we can we can see what we can do by next Tuesday, um, <laughs> and Ashley-ism. And uh, that, you know, those are things that, that really kind of the spirit of, of, of what's in our work. Awesome, thank you so much, Tim. I, uh, right over the last four years, you all have added a bunch of new youth and young adult resources to your service system. We've talked about a couple of them, um, the Navigator team, the, uh, the Centralized Diversion Fund, now the Homeless Prevention and Diversion Fund. Um, and, rapid young adult rapid rehousing projects and so i'm curious to hear from you all a little bit about you know when you look back at your at your run chart and i can pull it back up because we love the data um pull it back up here when you look at this run chart and you see the numbers ticking down um i'm curious uh to hear from you all about which services you feel like have been the most impactful and and what's special about those services um and yeah I'll, I'll stick with that. We don't need to ask a double question. <laughs> well, I mean, quickly, I mean, that's April 2021 is right when we were trained in diversion and, and right when we, I think, shifted, you know, obviously had additional funding and funding is great and funding is going to be necessary for all of our communities to end this. But I think it was the training that we received in regards to how you can have these conversations to really um, leverage the youths um, like our, their, our, their strengths and their, you know, resources and, and connections. So it's, it's just, <clears throat> I don't know, it's a, it's a process and it's definitely hard at times and it's not the perfect solution for everyone. We definitely were ra utilizing rapid rehousing dollars and um, for, our, for 
you know, our very high need clients, very high barrier clients, we were, you know, placing in, in with rapid rehousing and covering their rent with that. And, you know, of course, making sure they're on um, housing authority wait lists. So, you know, that's a big part of us maintaining this the shift downwards that, you know, we're very on top of making sure that they're on any and all wait lists, any and all resources that they can get, even if it's a long ways out, you know, the, a lot of times, especially after doing this for, you know, two and a half years, I mean, I'm sure there's people in here that have done it for longer is, you know, you see the, some of the same people, people will come back. And, um, and so it's, it's how can you really put them in a position to, to end that? Yeah. Maybe $300 to get them where they need to go is going to be helpful for now. But at that meeting, we can get them on waitlist. We can make sure we can ask those hard questions to see if they qualify for other programs. And so I think that it's all it's all encompassing. Um, but it's yeah, it's definitely a process. And I think diversions at the front. Yeah, I just want to echo that. I think one of the really cool things about diversion, like Mike said, in addition to us trusting young people to know what their solutions are and just doing what they came to us to do, which is just help them get there, like help them use their ideas and their solutions and do what they need to do to get there. Um, I think that's been huge. I also think that it being such a low barrier, like resource is so helpful. And we see that with the young people too. Like a lot of programs um, have certain criteria or eligibility requirements that young people don't always fit in. And so this is more of like, how can we make this resource fit for you and what you need at this moment? And we saw like wild success with that. Um, and if you show that run chart again, I you know, folks have been talking about the 30 and 30 challenge. Um, and so that challenge happened from, let's see, May to June, right? And then you see this dip. And I don't think necessarily the dip is just from young people getting housed with that resource. Definitely that was a part of it. But I also think it was that shift in mindset that we had as a community. Because when we entered that like challenge, we were saying like, oh my gosh, we're the smallest community. Like, how are we going to be able to do this, right? Because it was a housing placement surge of reaching 30 diversion uh, placements in a community. And so we're like, we're the smallest of all the communities. How are we going to do that? Um, and for us to succeed in that challenge, we really had to like think about like what needs to be true for this, for us to reach these 30 diversions, right? And so we shifted the, like the way we're thinking from this is like the limited amount of resources that we have. Like this is the limited amount of housing, like that scarcity mindset. We shifted that to like, yes, we can do this. And like, let's just try these new things and get creative and like, somebody said in the chat, the worst we can do is like, it'd be the status quo. Um, and so I think that like, really had an impact on the way we approached all programs that we had in our community, uh, and every possible opportunity uh, in working with folks. Well, and Alicia, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to say a little bit more and Mike as well um, about this, because one of the things that you all also did from my bird's eye, I, bird's eye view of being able to see all the anchor communities, one of the things that you all have done has, has been pushed back on me, Away Home Washington. The, the thing I told you at the beginning of the Homeless Prevention Diversion Fund, I was like, we are also constantly improving. And it's not just the communities that are constantly improving. Um, and, you know, we had a whole bunch of conversations over time about like, you know, can can we use funds for, for this weird kind of thing? Um, what are we going to do when we have to go to a centralized, um, centralized administrator in order to get our funds released um, so we can do applications because apartments are getting snapped up like that. And you all came up with some really interesting things and pushed further um, to everyone who is a decision maker in your community to be able to be successful in that. Uh, Walla Walla, I think, housed 34 young people during that 30 days. Um, so that's a, that's a huge feat. Um, but I'm curious if, if either of you have anything, any 
uh, responses to that reflection? Well, one thing is just that it's been a pleasure working with you all. You, Kiki, Anjali have been just such great coaches in regards to that, you know, and I think it always comes down to, and now it's the question that I know I need to answer is, does it lead to housing? And that was really all you would say is just, well, how does it, how does this connect to housing? How does this lead to housing? And I could, and if we could draw the dots, we could get the funding. And it, and so it was really empowering for me, knowing kind of the process, knowing, you know, we have so many other programs that have these stacks of paperwork we have to accomplish. And if the youth can't check every single damn box in that paperwork, um, no pun intended, that the they don't qualify for the program and they can't access the funding. Whereas this, it's all I have to say is, are they younger than 24 and do they, you know, does this connect to housing and we can make it work. So I think it's just that, that push and pull, but ultimately it was some great coaching. And and then um, I, I, you know, at first we thought the challenge was, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I think we thought it was a little silly, at least I did. And then Alicia took it way too seriously. And so then I had to take it seriously because I'm not going to freaking lose. I mean, I did, but I'm, I'm not going to go down without a fight at least. And so, um, I think it's that team effort. I think we really need to encourage each other. I mean, it's definitely a team thing. I mean, we couldn't have done it without each and every person that you're seeing on this panel and more behind the scenes. So, um, you know, when don't be afraid to get, get competitive or at least take on the challenge. Yeah. And we, like Mike said, when we're talking to a young person, like the solution is very clear in their mind, right? Like the path to get to that doesn't necessarily fit into like the boxes that sometimes adults that we create in programs, like what we think is the path, right? And so just talking with a young person and like having them explain it and working through that path with them, like it was very clear that they knew what they needed to get to housing. And so we just had to like trust that they knew that and 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 they usually always did. Um, and I also think like too, when we started using the fund, we were thinking about like, this is supposed to be low barrier. And when we came up against things that we were struggling with, we're like, okay, so like we really want this to be low barrier we need to change some things and so one like innovation that we had was we were finding that young people um would apply to places but the way that diversion funds work um is like you get a check and then you get the check to pay for the application fee and like things just were going way too fast especially like with the housing climate the way it was during covid um and so we just didn't have time to wait and so we came to folks uh that were running hpdf and we're like hey we need like a like a credit card, a debit card, something where we can pay for the application right then and there um, to like have young people have a higher chance of getting into those places. And it worked. And like, it was such a simple solution, um, but it was just that ability to like redesign and like rethink the way that we're approaching this and listen to young people who are telling us, this is what I need. This is what will work for me. Uh, and trusting that. I just want to add real quick, because I feel like, um, all of that and like the, the you know, some of like the different feelings about the challenge, so on and so forth. I, I know that it was really impactful of like, oh, hey, we can like set a goal and meet a goal. And it doesn't have to be like this long drawn out, like it can be like a short term goal. Um, and I think it created like a lot more of a, of a culture across the team of setting goals, of challenging ourselves, of trying things and of thinking outside of the box. Like, wait, why did we think we couldn't do that? Like nobody said we couldn't do that. Um, and no, nobody has like ended youth and young adult homelessness before. So like, you know, let's, let's lead the way. I really, I really, really love that. Um, and uh, speaking of this and speaking of this really strong value of, uh, holding young people with lived experience as the experts that they truly are, like they know what they need. Um, and we often in this field say nothing about us without us. And, um, often 
could can always improve on the ways in which we um, you know are are engaging with young people. But I'm curious to hear from all of you um, how young people with lived experience have played a role on your team um, and in your community uh, in this work. I'll take on this one, um, and that's a really good question. Um, so for me personally, having um, been a part of the core team um, in the Walla Walla area for the last few years, um, youth are at the center of this work. So we're at the table. We're really at the table where um, our voices are valued. Um, and for me, having been experienced homeless, my, homelessness myself, um, being a part of this work is refreshing because people see people see what I've gone through as well, and they take that into account when they hear when they want to hear what I have to say, and when they always give me a seat at the table. Um, I've been I'm honored to be a part of YAB. Um, so um, youth, uh, young adult action, youth is the youth action board. There we go. Um, with um, Sam and um, Justin and a couple of other people as well, where we're able to meet with um, young people who are, who have been dealing with homelessness or are currently dealing with homelessness. And we're able to give them a seat at the table and give them that space to not only express what they've been through, but ideas that they um, want to see come into fruition when um, we work on changing youth and young adult homelessness. Um, youth are at the forefront. Again, we are at the center. We're at the forefront. We're valued. Our experiences are valued. Our thoughts are valued. Our ideas are valued. Um, the um, Walla Walla Anchor Community Initiative team really values the voices of youth. Um, and I kid you not, every meeting that we have, it is youth-based. It's like, okay, this comes back to youth who are dealing with homelessness. What are some of the misconceptions that um, are, you know, um, always talked about when it comes to youth and young adult homelessness? What impacts the youth when they're homeless on the streets or couch surfing? We talk about different types of homelessness, too. In your car, couch surfing, on the streets. The list goes on. There's a multitude of things that, you know, again, societal-wise, people have this general belief about homelessness. When you give youth the voice to actually talk about their experiences, it opens and it broadens your mind to seeing, okay, there is more to homelessness than I've been thinking. There's more to homelessness than what I've been assuming. There is more to this story than just, oh, um, something happened for them to be on the street. There is so much more um, to someone's story than what we, um, than what society chooses to see when it comes to homelessness. And so what I really value about um, the Anchor Community Initiative is that they value youth voice. Every time we meet um, is youth-based, is youth-driven. It's like, how can we help this youth? It's not, oh, this is what we think should happen. It's like, no, are we actually taking into account, taking the time to listen to someone's story, listen to the logic behind what they've been through, listen to the logic of what's going to be the next big step for them that's going to be important and helping them um, maintain stability and um, staying off um, or, or maintain stability from being homeless. You know, the list goes on. It's all about putting youth voice always at the forefront whenever we meet, whenever we go over the data. What is best for the youth? I just want to, I want to challenge everybody that is listening, um, that if you do any services, if you're trying to solve any problems, um, and you don't have, like, you're not, like, working with alongside young people, um, or even working with, like, the folks that you're trying to serve, trying to help or whatever, then, um, then y'all should probably change that, like, as soon as possible. Um, And also pay people if you want their time and their expertise, um, be sure to pay them. Um, The homelessness system uh, was designed by adults 
for adults. Um, and so, and we're, we're, we're not just trying to end and then sustain uh, functional zero. We're not trying to end homelessness and then sustain it here. Um, we're trying to redesign the system and not just the homelessness system. We're working across systems. Um, and if we're going to redesign the system, we have to be sure that young people are redesigning and co-creating that with us. Um, otherwise we're, we're going to be um, just perpetuating the same, the same cycles, the same problems over and over again. Um, so it's really important. And I also, um, I want to say too, with the youth action board um, and our youth leaders, um, like hearing, one of the things that we've heard loud and clear is that um, young people don't just want to be housed um, and then like have you walk away. Um, and so, and, and it's interesting and it holds us accountable in this work to engage young people um, because we can put our heads down and we can be focused on trying to get to a goal and do this thing. Um, but we have to we have we have to stop and we have to be paying attention to what's happening along the way. Um, and so uh, Carrie and Amanda Colby and Mike Wilson here um, have been working um, with some feedback from the Youth Action Board on creating a life skills workshop um, for young people. Um, and it's really cool and I'll let them talk about it. Uh, but we're also talking about like more like aftercare services and supports um, because we cannot engage young people and hear what young people are saying they need and then not do anything about it. Um, so it's like really, really important in this work. And I would say in any work, uh, no matter what you're doing, that you should be engaging folks that are, that you're trying to work with and then listening to what they're saying. Um, you can do both. You can have goals and you can also listen and do what people need you to do. Yeah, it's one thing that we say a lot in the ACI that the data can show you what is happening, but young people know why it's happening. And you need both in order to like have any chance of your of your changes, like not just being spaghetti at the wall, but being like actually targeted. Um, because young people, if they can look at the data, they can tell you why there was a spike there, why there was a dip there in a in a way that um, you know a lot of us are, are not privy to, we, we don't have that information. Um, and we can guess and guess and guess all day long, or we can just ask. Yeah, no, um, definitely you, listening to what the uh, YAP has to say has been a goal on our SDS plan. So as part of one of our um, goals was at least implement two uh, of their ideas that they had come up with, you know, in discussion. And so aftercare was, constantly being said like we need assistance doing certain things so um the team worked really hard together carrie gotta give her tons of credit for helping put together these workshops we're getting ready to implement um and being able to use another resource the way home washington was putting out there with student innovation grants which i believe we not only applied for one but four that we got, I believe. And so we're getting ready to implement a lot of that into our community right now. So it's super exciting. But with the life skills class, we've got um, we've got uh, how to do laundry. We're going to be doing, you know, teaching them how to do things like that, making their abilities better, I guess. I don't know what the words I'm trying to come up with there, but like teaching a cooking class, um, doing some financing things, budgeting, um, how to budget, you know, to go grocery shopping, things like that. Um, and then a super important thing to help with their uh, housing stability is like doing mock interviews. How do you do an interview? A thing like that. That can be very helpful in their everyday lives. I don't know if Carrie wants to add to that as well. Sure. I think the main thing is that aftercare of making sure the youth and young adults are successful 
once they are homed. Um, and having those skills that, you know, if you've had a guardian or a parent or an adult that has been there for you to teach you those things, well, maybe not everybody has those. So how can our team provide that for the youth and young adults that we're finding housing for and making sure that they have, um, you know, building that resiliency to make sure that they have the adult that they can go back to and be like, wait, you showed me how to cook this dish, but can I get a refresher on that kind of thing? You know, building those relationships so they know they have somebody they can go back to for help if they need it. And, um, and then also hopefully encourage them to be part of that change. You know, if they know ACI is there for them and wanting them to be successful, hopefully they'll want to join our group and continue to make um, a difference in their community. Yeah. And the thing I, I there's two things that I kind of want to just underscore about all of this for, for everybody watching. So each community has a youth action board made up of young people with lived experience. And in Walla Walla, I think yours is very special. You have always been extremely thoughtful in making sure that young people who are involved, for example, in juvenile detention have access to a space like that, which is not a thing that I have seen um, anybody focus on that as, as much as you all do. Um, so they have a youth action board that uh, is in charge of coming up with some of the, the ideas that this team implements. And so they're not just changes that require funding. They are also changes that require things to be different in a system um, and all those kinds of things. They have young people from that youth action board on their team making some of those decisions with them. But the other thing that is, is I just want to highlight for everybody is there's two ways really in which um, we're talking about youth voice that are both very, very important. So one, when we're talking about the changes that need to be made like systemically, but then also like Alicia had said, listening to young people when they are telling us what they need in our actual service system. And so as the Walla Walla team is looking at numbers that are in the, in the low thirties, right? They can actually talk to every single one of those young people and not guess at what they might need. Um, but they can ask those literal exact specific unique special individuals what they need um, and so i think i just want to highlight both of those things and then the other thing is um when we're talking we're talking about aftercare so much and it just uh reminds me of the story of like you all were focusing on aftercare and i was i was thinking about it i was looking at your yes yes plan um, and everything. And then I had a call with Rhiannon Bardsley at OHY, the Office of Homeless Youth. Um, we had a whole conversation. I was like, oh, yeah, Walla Walla is focusing on aftercare. And she was like, I'm pretty sure in their OHY contracts, they can uh, they, they can spend money on aftercare services and sent me the link to the to the stuff. And then I called Sam and I was like, hey, like, did you know you all can do this? And there's some things like that that I think really um, are emblematic of the ways in which like Away Home Washington um, as kind of that broker at the state level and supporting communities to like pave the way to like learn stuff to make us work as a state at this level while communities are trying to figure out how to work locally at this level. Um, we're both kind of doing the same thing at different levels um, and it all works out so well um, as we're as we're trying to make this a yes to yes state. I'm curious for you all to talk just a little bit and we're going to get into questions. I have two more questions for them um, and we're going to get to some of the audience questions as well. Um, what's next for the Walla Walla Core team? Such a great question. Um, I'm happy to take this one on. Um, one thing is, again, always putting youth voice at the forefront of this work. And so 
our goal is to um, help in youth and youth in young adult homelessness in the Walla Walla area. And it's a goal that we've been working so hard on um, to accomplish. It is not for the numbers. It's not for the attention grab. It's because we actually care about people who are and have dealt with homelessness. It's a very, um, not only is it a touchy subject, it is a very um, emotionally charged subject. It is a very, it affects, homelessness affects everything, um, parts of your life, so many parts of your life. And what we want to continue to do is make youth voice the center of this work. Because if we don't have youth voice, we're not doing this work well. And we need to be able to do this work with passion, um, curiosity, um, with care, with drive. We need all of those things to be able to make this work function the way it should. So um, what's coming up next is continuing to keep youth voices at the, the forefront of this work. And also, again, making sure that our data whether it's the dashboards or any type of data that we're using is accurately um, portraying that as well. I think also to build on what Esther was saying about having the youth be the forefront, but it's also helpful that we are continually adding people to our core team um, from different agencies um, in the community that can kind of bring a voice or an idea or sometimes even um, funds that the youth and young adults can access um, for different needs has been really helpful, um, especially the last few months. I feel like we always are kind of having a new person join our meetings, and it's great to know that people are wanting to get involved in ACI and be part of the change in the community. Can somebody talk about a really big system change that you all are about to implement that we're going to plan for later this afternoon? Case conferencing. So I mentioned earlier that using your youth and by name list to case conference is like one of the key ways that we work across systems and like really take a whole community approach to problem solving and helping like find solutions for young people. Um, so case conferencing, if you're not familiar, um, folks from across systems, like across resources, agencies come together and meet. Um, and, and really go through the list by name, right? That's why they call it a by name list. So going through the list and talking about like, what are the solutions that we can find for this young person? Talking about like you know, the things that they've tried, resources that haven't worked for them and like really like being creative together uh, and finding a solution that works for that young person uh, and coming back. And so that's the way that you, you get that 39 or 30 young people on that by name list down to zero, right? Is like you work together um, because no one agency or one person can do the work. It really takes a whole community. One of the things that I just want to um, also reflect on seeing, you know, communities around the state, 10 counties around the state are, are anchor communities. Um, and from seeing whatever, however, every community is so different, has such a different system. I think the communities that I have seen be extremely successful um, are communities where the folks involved don't see their job as just fulfilling like what is in the job description doesn't mean like working ourselves to death but um the thing that i think it, one thing that i just want to say that i think is really special about walla walla is that when i look at you all you all are uh workers for the system like you're not necessarily just uh just workers for your agency though you are um, and you do amazing things for all of your your agencies who are coming to the table but you are changing the culture to be um be one where everybody is all in for each other and and nobody is um 
you know, one thing that I see sometimes in systems is, right, case managers or something are, are like, these are my young people or like those kinds of things. But you all are like, how are we collectively going to be able to do this? Um, and when I think uh, you all outside of Walla Walla might not know, but I did not make up the Walla Walla way. It is a thing. It is a real thing. I came here for the first time like three years ago and I was like, what do you mean the Walla Walla way? Um, and boy, do I know a whole lot more about it now. But when I think of the Walla Walla way and how you all are, are ending youth homelessness in your way, that is specific to your community. That's one of the things I think about is like, you are all here and you're accountable to young people first. Um, and you're accountable to everyone else second. Um, young people and each other is what I would say. But I'm curious to hear from some of you at least, this is my last, uh, my last main question, and then we'll have some time for, for other folks' questions. Um, but, you know, you are on track to be one of the first communities in the country to functionally end youth homelessness, um, youth and adult homelessness, and you're doing it in your way, the Walla Walla way. So what does the Walla Walla way mean to you in this work? I'm actually going to start out um, because I want to share... Um, during yesterday's core team meeting, um, I shared some principles from um, Emergent Strategy, um, Adrian Mari's Mari Brown's book, Holding Change. Shared them with the core team. Um, I might, I'm going to try not to cry. I almost cried yesterday um, because when I was reading them out loud, when I was reflecting on them, I'm like, oh my gosh, we like have intuitively um, implemented all of these things. We're intuitively doing these things as a team. Um, so I want to share them with y'all. Um, so small is good. Small is all. The large is a reflection of the small. There is always enough time for the right work. There is a conversation in this room that only these people at this moment can have. Find it. Never a failure, always a lesson. Trust the people. If you trust the people, they become trustworthy and or the necessary boundaries become clear. Um, and then my favorite, move at the speed of trust. Focus on critical connections more than critical mass. Build the resilience by building the relationships. And we are doing those things. And it is why we are doing this. So it is why it's making a difference. Absolutely, Sam. I think snaps all around. Because, um, yeah, I think that definitely resonates with, like, how I think we all want to operate and hope that we operate. Um, and I think that the wall of wall away is... Um, it's just, I mean, it's the reason why I moved here. It's just, it's a special place. It's a, it's a group of people. I just, I just haven't been able to find a community that cares more about their own community. Um, we're very, we're very proud of our community. We're very, um, like, I think there's a sense of like uh, civic duty here that doesn't exist in a lot of other places where no matter which organization you go to, you're going to find people that care. And I think that's just the number one thing. I think we've all worked with either in our, in our, in our youth when accessing services or now as a, as a provider, um, a worker who doesn't care and you just know right off the bat. And um, man, have I been, they are few and far between in Walla Walla. And that is where I think we are the most, um, the most blessed is just our, we have so many people that care in this town about our youth, about everyone. I mean, and for so many different purposes and so many different things. So I think it's in, in your work and how you can take that, because I'm sorry, you can't take our workers that care so much, is um, find the people that do care and and they'll make it work. And so I just, that's that's been our number one thing. And that, that's the wall of wall away. Yeah, with so many people that do care in this community, like Mike said, um, it's finding a way to like, 
get everybody together, like make those connections, bring people forward to make it work with each other and not against each other. Um, and I think one of the ways that we do that is, is we, we find folks, we say the hard things, right. That need to be said and trust and believe that the people around us care about us. And they're saying those things because they want the system to be better. Um, and so living in that trust and moving at the speed of trust has been what the Walla Walla has been, the Walla Walla way has been in this work. Um, and it's been really amazing to witness. To build off what you said, Alicia, too, I think it's, also important to have grace for the, our team members who either if they're new and don't know all of the ins and outs yet, but also um, just to be able to make mistakes or, you know, forget a meeting or who knows what it could be. You know, we're all human living the day to day and that is just to be there for each other and be able to express if you're having a bad day and realize that people are going through things and, um can be, oh, have that open communication. Awesome. Thank you all so much. And I am hoping that Aja and Cecily um, have been tracking some of the, the questions that have come up in the chat. Um, I think we'll have a time for a couple of them. Um, and then I also, I want to have Tim, um, our Walla Walla Anchor Community Initiative, we be able to say some comments at the end um, and also invite Julie Patino to be able to say some, some comments, our executive director at Away Home Washington. Are there questions from the chat that we should talk about? First one that I saw in the chat was, can you explain how you secured housing for young people considering their rental vacancy rate has been zero to 1% in the past couple of years? And I, I can start that off um, working with housing young people. So yes, the rental vacancy has been at zero to 1%. Um, and you know, as we all know, it got really tough during COVID. Um, and so while we had some programs that helped us, right, like there were subsidies that were available at times, um, we really had to rethink the way that we were approaching it because it, prior to uh, April 2021, and, and you could see like before the downward shift was happening, um, we were having as much success as our limitations allowed us. And so we had to really break free from like that mindset and thinking about like, okay, these are the traditional ways that we know we can house folks. Um, but as a system, it's not enough. It's not working at the capacity that it needs to for young people to get in homes. And so, um, you know, we explored really creative ideas. Not every young person wants or needs to live on their own in their own apartment. Sometimes it's like living with a roommate. Sometimes it is living with a friend or family member. But those things that are needed that HPDF was able to help with, there's just some barrier that's keeping them from being housed in that place. And so we wanted to not just approach things from like the very linear way of thinking of like, this is how a housing program works, or, you know, you have to have this amount of income to get this kind of rental assistance to get into a place. We had to like open up the whole like realm of opportunities. Plus, you know, there was work that was done in the core team um, on landlord engagement. And so that meant like, we, yes, we have these landlords, we have these like rental properties that have all of these units, you know, and we're seeing that we're not getting as much as we possibly could. And so that that meant that we sat down with like rental property owners, like we talked to them and figured out like, how can we work with you? And like talking to them on a person level, like these are the young people, this is the, these are the things that they need. What do you need from them? And how can we make this relationship work? And also leveraging the relationships we had with private landlords, right? Private landlords that have worked with um, programs in our community that help house uh, folks who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and then we just tried to maximize like the, like, the most 
like rental opportunities we could, but then also know that those were not the only options, right? Like young people had plenty of ideas of what home meant to them and what housing meant to them. And so we just listened to them. Yeah, I think briefly, we we definitely um, like leverage relationships with landlords and with, you know, with private and then also like company or, you know, you know landlord management companies, property management companies, sorry. Um, and so I think that there was that benefit, like the, the moratorium did a lot of different, you know, had a lot of effects on, on the housing market. But I think one advantage that we were able to find is that if we could guarantee a rent payment, whether the youth had a voucher, whether they own rapid rehousing, that could work for that population of people that had that option. So I think that there was some kind of guaranteed funding. So landlords like that. We also did a lot of outreach with the property management companies. And we, you know, we spoke to them directly. We let them know, you know, exactly who we are and who's going to be doing the management of these clients. Cause it's often you hear, you know, case management is going to be provided, but they want to get to know the person and they want to see if they can, they, they want to see if they trust them. And so um, we did a lot of that. And I think that helped us get um, some youth in the door to company, like property management companies that they otherwise wouldn't. Um, and so I think it was kind of a, you know, it was a lot of things, but those definitely aided in it. I have to say that it's uh, not that we have just engaged one time with landlords. It's something that we've had to continuously do and has been discussion even to today is do we have more options of landlords out there? Um, so continuing to do the outreach, it's not just one, hey, nice to meet you. We're going to work with you. It's continuing to um, to reach the right people uh, for opportunities to be able to house people. Yeah. And we've had some situations that were favorable. We've had $20,000 of damage caused. We've had people, um, you know, squatting or whatever you want to call it in apartments past their lease date. You know, we've had, you know, situate, you know, not great situations. Um, but when we, ex I felt that they were very upset at first, but once we met with them in person, we always would just try to do an in-person meeting. We could usually smooth those things over. And in fact, it's helped get us more people in the door because I think they just lacked a perspective. You know, they had that classic rural mindset of, you know, they need to figure this out by themselves. They don't need a support. They don't need an agency. They don't need government funding to get this done. Um, but I think when we explain, these are youth that, you know, I mean, we're dealing with youth that their parents taught them how, how to purchase math. They didn't teach them how to fill out a job application. We're dealing with people that didn't even have parents in their life and have been in the foster care system their whole life. So when do you expect who someone needs to like work with these people and get them to the point and educate them on how to, how to, you know, function at, at a higher level. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it takes a village, but I, I think that the property management companies and like really targeting the ones that own the, the big properties, like, the, we need those ones that kind of, I'm sure you have them dominate, you know, 70% of the market. Thanks everybody so much. And I, um, Alicia, is there another question that we can answer quickly? Uh, yes. So um, I hear that trust was slash is a really key component to your success. That's often person to person relationships. How do you maintain trust, momentum, team dynamic, dynamics, et cetera? through periods of significant staff turnover and folks shifting roles within their communities. Uh, and I feel like folks have been kind of answering this as along we go, but um, yeah, feel free to jump in. Yeah. And I put, I did put an answer in the Q and a on that one. Um, I think finding some co-conspirators so that you have like, and, and really to go back to that um, from Adrian Mari Brown, uh, moving at the speed of trust, focusing on critical connections more than critical mass, build the resilience by building the relationships. If you have, if you have like that, then you keep going, things might change around it, but if it's strong enough, then that change won't make everything fall apart. Um, 
And I often think of this as like kind of sometimes like use the road trip analogy kind of a deal. Like we are going and we are doing this thing and some people are not going to get in the car. They don't think that the place you're going to is real or whatever it is. Right. Um, but they'll, they'll catch up or they'll find a different way to get there when they're ready. Um, but the, the core team, the folks we have in the car, the young people, like we, um, we, we, we are that critical mass and we're building that resiliency and that community care and that community will. Um, so yeah, the relationships are important and there's ways to make it sustainable. Thank you so much, Sam. And we will take the time to fully respond to everybody's questions um, in, in the follow-up. But since we only have a few minutes left, I want to give Tim, um, our Walla Walla lead, a little bit of time to, um, to give some closing comments and then also Julie Patino to give some closing comments. Um, and I will wrap us up. A, a couple of thoughts uh, to, to share today. Um, one is, is I think that you, you got to meet some really amazing people on the panel today, um, whether there were Walla Walla folks that are working for different agencies. Um, I hope you really caught that, the diversity of agencies that they're, they're coming from, or our folks from away home Washington and that partnership that, that happens. You know, Walla Walla is a community that's down in the corner of our state that um, was, was built on this idea of independence. We don't need anybody else telling us what to do. Um, but uh, when we can truly enter into a partnership with, with outside people to come in and coach us and help us along, that's when change uh, can, can really happen. Um, you know, I, I saw a question or a statement somewhere in the, in the chat just about, you know, the uniqueness of Walla Walla and Walla Walla is unique. We're a unique community and in where we're located and the people that are here um, in the history of, of that. Um, and I think, you know, looking to your own community, what's the uniqueness of your community? What is it that makes the people that live there or the environment that you're in, what makes that unique? And then how do you build on that? How do we build on strengths that are within our community? And I think one of the things that we've really done in our community is that as we've entered into this work, um, and, and, and it goes back a ways. I, I, I really remember first coming in, involved in 2008 and um, that we were, we were saying, you know, not, not what's wrong with our young people, but what has happened and, and how do we, we recognize that our young people, that it, it, our neighbors, people we are walking alongside on the street, um, that people that we care for and um, that we that are working in these institutions here locally, that we have to come together and be able to say, hey, you know, come on and, and uh, you know, what's, what's happening with you and listen to that. And, and I think the culture within our team has been, let's listen to each other too and give space so that we can really um, be there for each other. I just give you a, a really brief example, and there's so many of these, but yesterday I called up uh, Mike to ask him a question about something. And um, and as I'm saying that, I'm like, wow, oh, man, it's pretty rough. And, 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 you know, he didn't gloss over that. He said, he, he asked me like, well, how are you doing? You know, and, it, and he meant it. Um, and that is what the culture of our team is. It, it builds on that. And I think you, you, you really have to go there and you be authentic and allow that culture to, to permeate through and that what we're building is bigger than one person. And so that question about, you know, how do you keep it going on when people shift jobs? Someday I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do this. Hopefully I win the lottery and not get hit by a bus. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when, when I go, this work will continue and I need to make 
We need to make sure that we are building that. And, and the young people that are, that are coming through the system now, they're going to be the ones that carry the mantle for, for onto the future. And so that's that's what we can do and and carry that heart through this work. I, I so adore the people that I get to, to work with. And I'm so honored to be a part of this work and um, that that I, and I hope you all can find that that same um, love uh, because that's what is going to drive this work when we pour it into, um, you know, people say work isn't personal, but it is, <laughs> it, it, it is personal because of what, what we do. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, Julie, if you want to say a few words and close us out, people can find um, lots of resources on the ACI Resource Hub, um, including a case study that deep dives into a lot of things we talked about today. Thank you so much, Ashley. Um, we are so deeply grateful um, for everyone who showed up today to be inspired by Walla Walla. Tim, your words are so powerful insofar as um, really having communities lean into the beauty of um, their uniqueness as communities. Um, but also, I think Walla Walla friends, you have really um, imparted to all of us who attended that this is possible that having this sort of unrelenting pragmatism to saying yes to young people um, undergirded really by passion um, and heart-centered work um, is really what it takes. And you all exude that. And I hope everyone here in attendance is really walking away with that possibility. I always say that one of my favorite places in the world to be is dwelling in the realm of possibilities versus impossibilities. I also just wanna give Deep shout outs to the Way Home Washington team as well, um, really led by Ashley Barnes-Cock and then our data team, Liz Harding-Chow, but also the coaches, um, Alicia and Cecily and a whole, there are so many people behind the scenes that really um, come together with community and work. And I also just want to give a shout out. Mrs. Ensley has been here with us today. She's the co-chair of Away Home Washington, has been a stalwart. Um, talk about heart-centered individual, um, really committed to making sure that we have a state that can say yes to young people, irrespective of where they are. And we also have amazing, you know, um, funders who undergird this work as well and our partnership with the Office of Homeless Youth. So I really want to thank everyone for being here. Um, and just I hope everyone walks away feeling like I do, that this was a really powerful and special time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you again, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Mrs. Inslee, for being a co-chair of Away Home Washington. Um, thank you all for all the work you do across our state, across our country, wherever you're calling in from. Um, we couldn't do this without all of us. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye.